unto us this day has been born, Son who is our Savior. If you have your Bibles with you, um, go ahead and open them to the book of John, the book of John chapter 1. It's always a privilege as I get to open God's Word with you. God's Word is living, it is active, and I know as we see the Lord in His Scriptures that He will move our hearts. So I want to go ahead and prepare you that, that we all are called to respond to the gospel. So begin praying now, Lord, how are you going to change me and mold me today through your word that I may live out my faith to a world that so desperately needs your glory and your light. Today's sermon is entitled, He is Light. Very simply, He is Light. In 1882, a man named Edward Johnson hired his brilliant apprentice to make an outdoor nativity set for him. This was such a unique and novel concept in New York City on East 32nd, 36th Street at this time that they invited all the, the New York Post and the newspapers from around the globe, or really the nation at this time, uh, to come and, and view this novel idea. It's amazing that we still have articles from 1882. The Detroit newspaper, Post and Tribute, commented this way. It said, this beautiful nativity was brilliantly lighted with 80 lights all encased in these dainty glass eggs. The writer said, one can hardly imagine anything prettier. You see, the young man, the assistant who actually orchestrated this nativity was a man by the last name of Edison. And this was the first nativity that had Christmas lights that the world had ever seen. Uh, we know that you and I love Christmas lights so much so that, that this year, we in America bought over 150 million sets of Christmas lights. That does not include the ones that are tangled in your attic right now. The ones that you should have thrown away because you're so frustrated, you just went to buy a new set that's going to be tangled and thrown up in your attic again. Um, some people even estimate that 6% of all energy consumption in December in the United States is used to fuel your Christmas displays. I began to ponder on that. Why do we like Christmas lights so much? Well, very obviously, the hopes that you and I have for our Christmas lights is this, that someone in the dark that is driving by your house would see that light. But you see, I, I think there's a deeper spiritual longing that we don't even recognize sometimes. We have a recognition that we need light in our life. Is it any coincidence? And we're not going to argue um, the validity of having Christmas in December because you can't prove your case and I can't prove mine. But I do know this. Is it, is it any coincidence that December is the darkest month of the year? Is it any coincidence that December 21st is the darkest day of the year? And in this month, we celebrate the light of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to unpack this nativity story and look at the light of Jesus Christ. And while we do, I want you to begin to think about the, the movements and the actions and the characters in the narrative of the Christmas story. Because we're going to use 1 John as a launching pad to look at the different parts of the Christmas story. You see, I believe every person, every aspect, every movement of the birth of Christ functions to point us to the glory of the Father. God did not give us the Christmas story to make a good bedtime narrative. God didn't give you the different parts 
That way you can put up a, a pretty little set in your living room and say, man, how awesome is that? So we need to ask deep questions about why are the wise men, why were the magi there in Matthew? Why, did, why were they called to see Jesus? Because you know this about the birth. Every birth that I have experienced, not, you know, I realize some of you ladies are thinking, you don't experience a birth, you're a guy. I get it, right? Every birth that I've been around, my own, and those that I have seen in the hospital, you never forget who was there when your child or when a child was born, do you? I can tell you every single person that was there when both of our kids were born. I can tell you every single birth that I went to and prayed over and loved these parents and these kids. And more so that the heavenly story shows us the birth of Christ, those who were there. Is it, why do we wonder the, the shepherds, why were they there in Luke? These are questions we need to ask. Lord, what are the shepherds showing us about your glory and your majesty? Uh, I, I ask questions like this. Uh, Andrew, right? Why was the little drummer boy? What is he showing us about the Lord? Why was he there at the Christmas story? And for heaven's sake, as a drummer, why did he only know one beat? He can only do pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. He didn't even learn his cadence. He didn't practice his rudiments. Get that kid a trainer. Um, for those of you who don't know that joke, the little drummer boy was not there in Scripture. But we need to ask these questions. Why? Why are they there? And with that, I pray as we open God's word today that we will see something about the Father through the wise men, through Herod, through the shepherds that point us to the need and the light of Jesus Christ in our life. So with that, let's read 1 John chapter 1. And may we never forget those who were there at the birth of Jesus Christ because we should never forget the light of Jesus in our life. Verse 4 of the book of John is in the New Testament, the fourth book in the New Testament. John says this, In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and yet the darkness does not understand it or does not overwhelm it. Verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light. Listen, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would illuminate our dark hearts. Lord, we have a deep desire to have life and light, and we know that it's only found in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you would flood our minds with your grace and your mercy, and that you would shine a light upon our path, that we who walk in darkness would see a great light, and that we would know his name is Jesus, because he saves the people from their sins. Well, this is our prayer, Father. Open up our hearts to know you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He is the light. Very clearly, very clearly in Scripture in John, if you only had one word to describe what John is communicating here about Jesus, it would be what? Light. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was light. Verse 5, that light shines. Verse 7, John came as a witness to the light. Verse 8, John was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. 
Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone who has come into the world. I thank God that his word was written to people like me who struggle with understanding sometimes. God is saying, don't you get it? My son is light. He is light because we are walking in darkness. And I ask you this morning, consider the Magi. Consider the Magi who remind us that Jesus is the life and the light that we need. So mark your Bibles in John. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 2. As we consider those at the birth of Christ, they're not there simply that we can tell our kids a bedtime story. They're there to show us that we need true light. Matthew chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of King Herod, wise men, magi from the east, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. Now, what do stars do? Some of you are thinking they twinkle. You like twinkle, twinkle, little star. But they shine light. We saw his star and it's rising. And we have come to what? We saw the light and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. Consider the Magi. Magi were men who lived in the east, most likely Persia. Even more likely the modern nation of Iran, which I would consider a very dark place right now. And these men were seeking the truth. They were seeking, seeking the light. These were people who were professional stargazers. They were somewhat between modern astronomers and astrologers. So they would look at the stars every day. But these were not your normal men. They had been trained by a chief magi, a man that you might have heard by the name of Daniel, more than likely. And Daniel had passed down this tradition that one day there would be born the true light. And so look at the stars because they will point you in the right direction. See, this journey would have taken about three to six months from Persia to Bethlehem. Now, can you imagine? Just, just think, for those of you who are married right now, think about coming home from work. And this is the conversation, right? Magi number one, honey, I saw a star today. Wife of Magi number one, dear, you see stars every day. Magi number one, but honey, this star is different. Dear, wife number one, you see 200 million billion stars. How is this star different? And he says this, this is the star that we have been waiting for. This is the star that points us to the Messiah the one that has been promised to give light in our darkness, the one that Daniel has prophesied about hundreds of years ago. You don't understand, but I have to go on a trip. This light is pointing me to the one who is going to redeem us and save us from our sins. This is the star. And I can imagine the wife saying, okay, if this is the star, then go. See, God chose us to have light. We just have to trust him. We have to go. And you can imagine that there's one of the wise men that's the wise guy. And I can only imagine how many are we there yet jokes that he asked for three or to six months on that camel. Are we there yet? No. 
Are we there yet? No. But you see, this was the star that gives life for us. This is the star in John 1 verse 4 that John wrote about. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was what? That life was the light of men. And God is showing us this morning that we are all in need of light. His name is Jesus. See, these magi didn't show up on the scenes just to, to make a good story. They showed up to tell us that we should seek light in our life. And it is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the light. To the glory of God, he is our light. That's not the only thing that we see in Scripture. We see also in John that if Jesus is the light, we struggle because we are by nature not of the light. Look at verse 5 again in the book of John. That Jesus in him is life and he is the light of men. But although that light shines in the darkness, the darkness did not overcome it. You see, the glorious message of the gospel is that we are in need of light and Jesus is the light. But the darkness of our heart is, is fighting constantly the light that God wants to offer us. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, go back again to Mark or Matthew chapter 2. So mark your Bibles in John. And let's look at Matthew chapter 2. When these wise men show up and they tell Herod, Herod, we're looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews, the one that God said he will be our light. If we trust in him, he will be our life. This is how Herod responds in verse three of Matthew chapter two. When Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. And they said, of course, in Bethlehem of Judea, which is about five or six miles away from Jerusalem. Because this is what was written in the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. You see, Herod did not want to accept the light of Jesus Christ. You know why he did not want to accept the light of Jesus Christ? You had these magi, these royal ambassadors traveling six months and they go to the palace. And they show up to a man who calls himself king of the Jews. And they knock on his door and they say, we, we see the light. The light has stopped here. Show us where is the one who was born king of the Jews. Now, do you see the dilemma that the Magi's are now in? They have showed up to Herod, who is the self-proclaimed king of the Jews. And they ask him, where is the king of the Jews? And Herod wanted nothing to do with true light. Herod wanted control. Herod was the one that said, I am good enough. I don't have to give up control. You see, Herod was like many, many of us. I believe we only have two paths in this world. We are seeking God by our own means, by being too good, by staying in control, or we seek God by saying, Lord, I'm going to do my own thing, self-discovery. And many of us right now are struggling with being Herodians in our own life. We're struggling because we have authority issues. We're unwilling to give up control. 
God is telling us, look, if you accept my son, he will be king of you. And we say, how dare you, God? How dare you say I'm not king? God, how dare you tell me what to do? God, how dare you ask me to submit and worship you? Now, of course, we wouldn't say that, but by all means, we live it out, do we not? We say, well, I've professed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But you know what? I really want to live my life like I want to live. No, we have not submitted to him as king. We are saying, God, I'm too good. I, I can control this. You say, well, of course, pastor, I wouldn't do that. Yes, we do. Look, look at the way. Look at the way that we try to control our lives by the way we respond to our sin. Often we respond to our sin this way, by just trying harder. Sometimes we sin and, and what do we do? We, we say, Lord, if I just, you know what? I won't do it again. If I just pray harder, then I will not sin. Lord, I'm, I understand I sin because I didn't go to church today. If I, just, if I just go to church more, you know what that is doing in our life? We're trying to control our lives. That is not grace. And I love what a, a pastor says. He, says. he says this about God. He says, we need to tell our hearts every day that there is nothing that I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing that I can do to make God love me less in Jesus Christ. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. God is not saying, well, if you just pray more, then you'll sin less. No, he's saying, if you trust me completely, Herod, you don't have control. Let Christ take control and then you will live freedom, a life free of sin, free of shame. Are you trying to control your sin by more church, more prayer. Maybe you're here today because you've, you feel like your life is, is falling down by, through the wayside and you're saying, Lord, if I just go to church and then I'll put a little more God in me and everything will be good. Uh, I understand, I've done that, it doesn't work. That's us saying, God, I'm gonna put you in my life on my terms. That is Herod looking at the wise men and saying, how dare he call himself king. None of us are good. None of us are king. He alone is light. Consider Herod, a man who was deeply disturbed when he heard that Jesus is the only right king. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, Christianity is a story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed as disguise in calling us to take part in this great campaign and sabotage. This is the religious person's battle. We are battling for control and kingship. Why do we not give like we should to the king? Because we're saying, God, I, you don't tell me how to use my money. And God, I can't trust you right now fully. I need this to build my kingdom. Why don't we serve like we should be serving? Because we say, Lord, I can't give my time up to you right now. God, I'm king. Why do we not rest like we should? We're saying, God, I can't afford to rest today. You understand the work I have to do. And God is saying, I've called you to rest so you will trust me because I am king and I am good. The true king has landed. He is light. And some of you might say, well, I don't have any trouble with that. I'm not good at all. I'm not even worthy to hear the story of grace and redemption. Well, I have some people for you to consider this morning. Turn to Luke chapter two. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not a magi. I'm not Herod. I'm nothing. I'm a scoundrel. You don't understand the reputation I have. I don't deserve to even hear about God's grace and his redemption. Luke 
we see and consider men that would come and help us in our time of need. Luke 2, verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the flocks and keeping watch at night over their flock. An angel of the Lord stood around them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. In verse 12, the angel said, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in tightly in cloth and lying in the manger. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby that was lying in the manger. And look at verse 20 now. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You see, if the wise men remind us that Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all else, then the the shepherds remind us that none of us are too low and too lowly to be invited to the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, we have this glamorized vision of shepherds that they were um, in their air-conditioned tents feeding the sheep at night, but that's not true. We know that first century shepherds were the lowest on the economic ladder. Many had no home. They were not trusted. They didn't have their own land. So if you had sheep and you didn't have land, what would you do? You would use your neighbor's land without telling them to graze your sheep. So they were actually resented in first century. We even have Babylonian documents that say that their their witness could not be trusted because they were unclean and dishonest. Why then would God want these dishonest people to come see his son? Why would God want these people of horrible reputation at the birth in this manger? And why would he want them to go proclaim that he is good to everyone else? I believe the shepherds invite people who are not good enough, who are uneducated, who are poor, who are needy, who are in addiction, who are homeless. The the shepherds remind you that the birth of Christ is your light. The birth of Christ is your light. You see, Pastor, you don't understand what I have done, but you are invited in. The darkness is, is fighting for our lives, and the light of Christ is greater than that. See, some of us today are saying, Lord, we are too good to give you control. And some of us are saying this morning, Lord, I'm not good enough for you to love me. And Jesus says, I love you and I I died for your sins. The beauty of John says that the light shines in darkness and yet the darkness does not understand. But the light of Christ is for each and every one of us. That is the hope. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the good news. That our darkness is competing for supremacy and Jesus breaks that. And so how do we now live? If he is the light... If our darkness cannot even comprehend the light of Christ, how do we live in light of the light? So let's turn back one more time to the book of John. Who gives us a hint at how we now should live. John chapter 1 verse 6 says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. In verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. So that who might believe? 
all. Anyone here not an all? Think about that. All of us have the opportunity to believe. Not all of us will, but the gates of salvation are open to who? To me, to you. All of us can believe because of this light of Christ. Verse 8, and John says that he is not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light. That means there's a lot of false lights, by the way. But the true light that gives light to who? To everyone. Anyone here, not to everyone. No, that the light is for us was coming into the world. You see, the light of Christ has now shined upon you because it is shining through you. The light of Christ shines upon you because it is shining through you. If you know Christ personally, then God's grace does not end with you. It is going through you to the world who needs this light. It needs it. So how do we live out in, in the light of the grace of Christ? John gives us some very clear pictures. Now, John is a gnarly dude, right? John is like your man's man. John is the one that if he kills an animal hunting, he's just gonna, he's gonna kill it with his teeth, right? He's out in the wilderness, camel hair. You know what he's eating? He's not eating protein bars. He's eating locusts and not even honey, not refined honey in the little bear, wild honey. It's almost like he's smoking out the honeycomb, chasing away the bees and eating it. And then you know what he's doing? He's saying, repent. And people are coming to him to repent. You know what he says? Who called you here, you brood of vipers? What a loving man. I, like, I love John. This is the man. And you know what he says about Jesus Christ? Look at verse, look at verse 8. The first thing he says in this church, this is, should be the beat of the drum of our life. When people come in here and they say, man, who are you? The first thing he says in verse 8 is, I am not the light. Don't let the, the crazy diet fool you. I'm just purging. Don't let the camel hair throw you off. And this was a very powerful individual. He says, I am not the light. That should be our heart. That should be our cry to the world. They should come in here and, they, and we should immediately say, look, don't let us fool you. We are not the light. We are not good. We should almost be charged. You know, the, the world sometimes charges Christians with hypocrisy. We should be charged with reverse hypocrisy. We should tell people we are rebellious, we are sinful, and we are, we are not good in ourselves. And they look at us and say, well, why do you guys do good then? And we say, because we want you to see our good works and glorify our, our, our Father in heaven. Like reverse hypocrisy. Like we tell them, we are not the light. We are not good. There is nothing in us that you should follow. You should follow. But, but he, he is good. He redeems us. The light of Christ has shined upon my life so that I may shine upon others. We need to know that truth. I believe that we should have a very low view of ourselves and a very high view of God. A very low view of ourselves and a very high view of God. You see, this light comes through us. It's not for the super religious. Who were the lights at the nativity story? Who were the lights of Advent? We saw in Matthew 2, who were the lights? The Magi, where were they? From Persia. They, they should never have been at the scene of Christ. They were not Jews. If you were going to write a story about Jesus today, would you invite the Iranians? 
Probably not. They might be way down the list. But why are they there? To show the light of the world shines upon who? Everyone, even people in St. Clair County. This is the light of Christ. This is the glory of the good news. If you were writing the story of Jesus Christ, would you invite the homeless people that had no reputation, who were unclean, who smelled like animals, who stole land from their neighbors, would you invite them in? And not invite them in, would you tell them, by the way, you're going to bring the message of good news. But God does. Why? Because he reminds us that we are all invited in. Have you shown the light of Christ? Studies show that in the past six months that 61% of born-again believers have not shared the light of Jesus Christ. That's not outside these doors. That means 61% of us have not shared the light of Christ. And 50% of born-again believers say that we have not even invited someone to worship. Look, you can't invite them to church. Only Jesus can do that. You become part of the church when you surrender your life to him. And that should break our hearts. You know what happens with light when you put a, a bushel over it, when you put a basket over it? You know what happens to a flashlight when it burns out? You know what we call light that doesn't shine? Darkness. Darkness, Why? Why have we forfeited our light? God wants us to shine brightly. And, and we, we have just now started as a church on Wednesday nights praying for those that are far from Christ. And we started that several months ago. Um, our list had about two people on it. Because we were not thinking about sharing our light. And this Wednesday when we were praying, and by the way, we pray for many of you. There are people here right now that you're hearing the grace of Jesus Christ. And I pray that his light would penetrate your dark heart right now. We pray for you guys every Wednesday night. But the list this week was about 50 long, that we're praying for our neighbors and our grandkids and our kids and our moms and our dads. And we're praying, Lord, let us be lights. And I was going to the grocery store Friday because I'm adult now. And so going to the grocery store is part of my hobbies, unfortunately, on my day off. And I got a text from a friend and said, look, can you just stop and pray for Alex? He came into work and he needs Jesus Christ. I'm like, absolutely. And, we're and I'm getting texts by people saying, look, I'm, I'm being a light. I was pumping gas this morning, preparing this message. And it's cold and I needed gas and it's, it's a delay in what I'm doing. And I finished pumping the gas and I hear some people not really using good language behind me. And I finished pumping the gas and very clearly I, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, look, you need to go in and talk to them. I'm like, Lord, I, you do understand I have to go to church, right? I mean, well, you know better than anyone that I'm a busy man. I'm important, Lord. I'm the pastor. They can't do church without me. And I, and I, was, I was like, I was, you've been there before, right? You're, just, you're, you're fighting God. Your darkness is saying every excuse. I don't have time. I got to go. Um, Lord, they're dropping words that, you know, they shouldn't be dropping. And, you know, and God said, I don't care. Josh, I don't care what you have to do. Are you going to trust me? I'm putting that light in the sky. I'm not going to give you the plan, but I'm putting that light in the sky to bring you to a place of trust and see the light. And so I pouted, right? I pouted from the gas pump to inside. And, and I used an excuse. I'm like, Lord, give me an excuse. A meteor, something. And well, I didn't have a receipt. And I, my wife will tell you, I don't ever get receipts. I don't want receipts. So I walked in and told a half truth. I'm like, I need a receipt. 
and able to share with this man and pray for him. And I pray that, that as we pray for him right now, that the Lord would be gracious and that he would see the light of Christ. And his response to me was this, I'm good, I'm good. And I said, no, Herod, you're not. I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, no, Herod, you're not. You won't control. But unless you give control to God, we are not good. We are not. Who are you shining the light of Christ to? Who were you? The light of Christ shines upon you to shine to others. And would we be faithful to do that? Maybe you're here today and you are wrestling control. You're wrestling the king of kings. And God is asking you to lay down your arms and trust him. Maybe you're here and you want the plan. You say, Lord, if, if, if God gives me his plan, then I will trust him. Maybe all he does is give you a star. I don't know if the wise men knew it was a six-month journey when they set off. But they did know that that journey would lead them to the true light. God is not asking you to know his plan. He's only asking you to trust his son. And until you do, you do not know salvation. Would you be willing to lay down your arms and trust him? Maybe you're here today and you've, you have not been living as a light of Jesus Christ. And today is a day where you will recommit your life and say, God, I want to live for you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in 1943, was stuck in prison. And it was right before Advent, and this is, these are the words that he wrote. I want you to listen to these as we conclude this morning. This pastor wrote to his friend, A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, and does various unessential things is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom must be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his prison cell recognized that the door of freedom must be opened from the outside. This is a story of Christmas. That God, knowing that we are trapped in a cell of our sin, sent his son from heaven to earth to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, that he might open the cell and offer us freedom if we trust. And before you think, well, Bonhoeffer must have ended on a good note, right? Shortly after penning these words, the Nazis executed Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But he was right. The door of freedom opened for him, and today is open for all of us. I want you to know today that Jesus is the light. And he came that all might believe in him, that he is the true light, because he gives light to each and every one of us. Let's bow our heads as we pray.